Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of the See It To Be It podcast. And it's special today because it is our 100th episode. It's hard to believe that as of today, we have featured 100 incredible women. Their stories have been amazing. And I hope that you have gotten encouragement. I hope that you've been able to see that you too can do it. We just need to have those role models put in front of us. So thank you for being a fan of our podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing it with your friends. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, and excited to be with you again this week and bring you another incredible role model. This week, we have with us Candace Geis, who is an attorney and entrepreneur, and she's doing lots of amazing things to help advance women. So welcome, Candace. Can't wait to have a conversation with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, before we get rolling, the first thing I like to do is I like to go way back. I want to know when you were growing up, what was your big dream? What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? So it's funny you should ask that. When I was growing up, I absolutely thought I was going to be a veterinarian. Like I had a whole game plan for how I was going to go into that field. And I kind of made the pivot around sixth grade because I had told my teacher that I wanted to be a veterinarian. But then I was also writing these short stories and these poems and things like that and asking if I could get up and pretty much perform them in front of the class. And at that time, you know, I was just writing as an outlet, but he was kind of like, hey, I know you're saying you want to be a veterinarian, but maybe you're going to be a veterinarian who writes a book or does something like that because your writing is so compelling and it's so captivating and your friends, you know, even in fifth and sixth grade are interested in reading your work. So I kind of thought about that a little bit and I I realized I was super passionate about writing. And so I actually pivoted to mass communication. And so when I went off to undergrad, it was as a mass comm major. It really kind of helped me refine my skills and all those types of things. But yeah, growing up, I I thought I was going to be a vet. And then you pivoted to become an attorney. So how'd you get on that path? (laughs) Right. So I was one of the millennials who graduated in 2008 during the recession. And so there wasn't much space for people hiring and looking for PR people. And so the first thing I said was that, okay, I'm going to go back to school. So I applied for this program that I just knew that I was going to get into. And at the last minute, they sent a letter saying like, you're not accepted to this program. And I was just so embarrassed because I was so overconfident and had already like got an apartment in this small town where the college was going to be at and was like thinking that I was definitely going to start school in the fall. And so instead, what I did was still move down there. (laughs) And I took this job working at a loan company. It was probably one of the lowest points in my life, just because I was really unsure about what next steps looked like for me. And I knew that there were eyes watching for what I was to become, because there was all of this talk around me being this hometown girl who people thought was going to do this amazing thing in the world. And so that adds pressure as a young person of like, okay, what am I going to do that's going to be astounding? So to take the job and be working, you know, at this loan company in this very small town where, frankly, there was a lot of racism. People would not even want to give me their money in their hand. Like they would put it on the counter and slide it to me. It was just an awakening. I had no internet, no cable. And so I really became a fan of the library and renting books. And I picked up the biography of Michelle Obama. And so I was reading the book and 
it talked about her journey as a lawyer, how she had used it to work for large law firms, how she used it to work for the government, how she used it to work for nonprofits. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to be a world changer. This is like awesome. I can use my law degree as an absolute degree that people will respect and it will open all of these different doors for me to make change in the world. And so I pivoted and made the decision that I wanted to apply to law school. And it was interesting because when I started telling people, they were like, what? Law school? People, you know, put you in this box of like, you know, you have this type of personality. I don't know if law is suited for you. Well, you rushed through undergrad, so your grades weren't necessarily, you know, at the very top. So I'm not sure anyone will accept you. And I think that kind of fueled me more because I'm always the type of person to be like, okay, if you tell me I cannot do something, I'm going to prove you wrong. So I went through the full process of applying to take the LSAT, you know, got three jobs to be able to sustain living in Baton Rouge while I waited to get accepted to law school and then enrolled in a master's program to kind of prove like, look, I do have the capacity to learn difficult information if I focus on learning the information rather than partying and having a good time with my friends. (laughs) So that's how I made the pivot to law school and becoming a lawyer. Wow. Wow. And I love that story because it's so just underlines what we're doing is so important about showing role models because you had a role model in Michelle Obama. Just reading her book and seeing her path led you to believe like, wow, you know, not only had I not thought about it from these different angles about how I could use that law degree, but she's someone who looked like you. If she could do it, you could do it too. And that's really awesome. That's all about see it to be it. So yeah, that's a great story. What a great path. You know, talking before we got rolling here. So you have a little one, a 10 month old little boy. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I often just really sort of hate the whole discussion about balance in life and how you do it. But I think that it's actually super important right now because of course we're in the middle of a pandemic with COVID-19 and everything's upside down and backwards for everybody. And I think that really, you know, finding that balance. So I would love for you just to talk a little bit about your life and how you're creating that balance between being, you know, full-time mom, full-time attorney, plus you have several other entrepreneurial ventures that we'll dive into as well. It's an interesting time. So, you know, I had my son, whose name is Kyrie, and, you know, I did my three months maternity leave, went back into the office. I wasn't quite ready to go back though. And I was feeling a little bit of mom guilt about, you know, not being with him. So, In some ways, COVID has been a blessing because it's allowed me to see him grow in a way that I may not have had an opportunity to if he had been, you know, in the care of someone else for most of the day. So I've been really enjoying that. But on the other side, it is so tough. When he was smaller, right, I could manage it a little better because he was just mostly sleeping. And just even when he was up, it was just a little small coup here and there and just kind of like laying around. And at 10 months old, he's now mobile. He's very vocal. So hosting these meetings and conversations while I'm at work to negotiate these contracts and deals with him in the background, like making noises and stuff has been interesting. But I think COVID has done something unique in that it has humanized us. So even when I'm on a call with like the vice president of my Fortune 100 company, and he's like, sorry, that's my 12-year-old son throwing things around in the background. It's like, oh, he has a kid. He's like me. He's normal. He's not just a VP of a company. So I think it's been cool in that way. When you talk about balance, I don't know that there's really a such thing as it. I used to throw that word around a lot, especially pre-mom, work-life balance. But what I'm finding is that it's really more so fitting him into my life and vice versa. And so 
it's holding him in my lap or nursing him while I'm also typing an email to my manager to let him know what's going on. It's using my lunch break to take him outside for a walk just so he gets fresh air. He hasn't been cooped up watching me work all day. I'm getting to, you know, kind of have that moment to refresh my mind and then getting back to it. And so it's really been me fitting him into the life that I already have. I was reading this book called The Conscious Parent when I was pregnant. I'm a dork in that way. I read all types of books, but it kind of talked about how your kids are not yours to own. And that's a concept that I wasn't really clear on until I heard it or read it. Especially like, you know, the way I was raised, like I have a parent who my dad is just like, you're my child and it's whatever I say, and you know, those types of things. So now after reading the book and understanding like you have to be able to let your kids go and they're going to have their own lives. It's been super important for me to not lose track of my life and raising my son because I want to be an awesome role model for him. I want to be the best mom I can be, but he's not mine to keep. And I think when we lose ourselves in strictly parenting and put our dreams on hold for our kids, then we have this huge void or we feel that they owe us something when they enter into adulthood. And I don't want to be that way. Like his dreams are his dreams and my dreams are my dreams. I want us to both be able to fulfill those without resentment or feeling like the other person owes us in any type of way. So. Well, you mentioned that you work for a Fortune 100 company, and Mm -hmm. I know that you're super passionate about the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement. And you wrote a letter to your CEO just about what kinds of things needed to change or what kind of programs need to be developed. Would you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I still have a job. So that's... that's (laughs) Well, that's good. So it must have been a really good letter, which we would expect considering you're a writer and a lawyer. Right, because I wrote the letter and then I immediately called my mom. I was like, I think I just lost my job. But you know, I'm astounded by the way that leadership has handled me actually having a conversation. So I'll just say that You know, I came to the company directly following law school. So I have one of the youngest in my groups. And so a lot of my first four to five years with the company had been, don't be too Black. You don't want them to not promote you. If someone says something inappropriate, ignore it because you don't want people to think that you're the angry one who's going to jump in as a vigilante or, you know, cause this awkward workspace. And so a lot of times there were a lot of situations where I bit my tongue I've cried at my desk because someone has said something like, they should be happy about the police because if they didn't have those people in their neighborhoods, they'd all kill each other. I'm like, wait, I'm from, I have family in those neighborhoods. That's not how we think, you know, these broad characterizations. And so balancing, okay, your personal feelings against, I really want to climb this corporate ladder and I don't want people to see me as a threat or as someone who they don't feel enjoy working with, right? And I think in the midst of all of the social unrest going on in the world, it put me into this new space of, okay, you've cried enough about this without doing anything, just say something. And so I noticed that there were areas that we had opportunities for growth within my company. And I just wrote a letter saying, hey, this is what I noticed. This is my perspective within the company. These are the things that I think we're doing an excellent job at. These are the areas that I think that we can improve at. What do the numbers look like here? And how can we do a better job about promoting people, you know, from various backgrounds into leadership. These are the stats about how it's going to make our business better. And this is the commitment that I'm willing to make to step in and to help get it done if you'll allow me to do that. And so I think the approach that I took was one that could have been well received because it wasn't 
from a place of being very hostile. It wasn't from a place of being extremely angry or rude. I came with an emotional appeal. I came with stats and I came with a solution for what I thought we could do to make it a better place. And so the feedback I received was like, hey, can I get on a call with you? I'm like, the CEO of the company who would otherwise not even know my name has wow. asked it on a call with me to discuss my thoughts. And he is a class act. He was just like, you know, I realized that there are some things we could be doing different. What do you think about these things? And it really gave me the opportunity to give feedback from the ground level. This is what people are saying. This is how people are feeling. These have been my experiences. This is how I think you can make it better. And so from there, we've now hired a chief diversity and inclusion officer for the company. I've been added to, you know, the diversity committee to be able to assist with that, being active in the employment resource groups to have conversations. And it also... <laughs> as an unexpected benefit, created this type of visibility with executive leadership where they were like, whoa, this girl adds value. She's bold. She's smart. She is solution oriented. And so it's opened the door for me to get more opportunities to grow within the company as well. So the importance of just being emboldened to speak up and say something. I think it's so great too, because I think there's such a buzz around this movement in corporate America, but unfortunately it's a lot of talky yeah. talk, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, it is interesting that even at a Fortune 100 company, that this was the impetus to get them to hire a diversity and inclusion officer, you know, just shows that we still have a long way to go in corporate America and even well-intentioned. Sometimes they think they're doing a lot more right than they are. And I think having that perspective and having people that are brave enough to stand up for that. I think that I'm pretty deep in this space with, I have a software platform called On The Dot Diversity that is all about kind of employee engagement and connection with women and diverse individuals within companies. And I think that the other thing that I find is that so many of the companies that have these DEI officers and even have big teams, in many cases, they're doing the worst. So it's a really interesting time. And I would just love your perspective too, and even certainly outside your own company. But what I'm hearing is that more than ever, obviously, there's a need for these employee resource groups. And actually, many of the companies I've been talking to, their memberships are increasing, but their budgets are decreasing. Companies are kind of locking down. And now that the labor market isn't so tight, that it's a nice to have rather than an imperative because... They couldn't have this. I would just love to get your impression of sort of what's going on and particularly vis-a-vis -vis the pandemic. Yeah. So I don't have a ton of insight as it relates to the actual financials related to the budgets. For us, we've had a set budget for ERGs and the budget allocations, I believe, increase based off of number of members in the ERGs and all these different other factors that they're looking at. But what I've been seeing is that they've been putting an added emphasis on listening circles with these ERGs, which I think is really important to have to actually understand the perspective of different members within these groups. Now, I'll say that something else happened from me doing this, which is that other people reached out to me and said, I want to say something too, but I don't know what to say or what to do. And so I kind of created a template that just kind of lays out like, these are the questions you are entitled to ask. This is how you can make a difference and so forth. And so for other companies, people have been saying, I think you're right as far as it's been lip service. But then when it comes to actually, for instance, one of my friends, she had the same conversations and the feedback was, okay, we need to create an ERG group because we don't have anything, you know, like this. And it has yet to happen. And so 
my feedback is this, and this is what I've been telling everyone who's implemented the template or who has said something but hasn't heard anything back. It's exhausting, but the work has to be done. And so it really is about accountability and holding people accountable. So it's not sending one email and then, you know, okay, I didn't hear back or they said they were going to do it, but they didn't do anything. It's really holding their feet to the fire and making the decision to keep pushing for the change that you want to see. And I get it. You don't always want to be the spokesperson for the change. You don't always want to be known as that person. But I think that it's so important in that, you know, someone was saying the other day, it's great to be the first, but it's not okay to remain the first. And so we have been privileged with these opportunities to have a seat at the table. And I think it's so important that we amplify our voices to make a difference for people who are coming behind us. So I didn't just send one email. I sent an email. Then they sent out a game plan. Then I sent a follow-up email saying, wait, I think you missed these points and that these are good things to discuss. Then I sent another email saying, hey, can I talk to HR about these things? And so it's been these ongoing conversations. And I think that we are well-intentioned and we have a call to action to do something. We will do that call to action, but not more. And it can't be the minimum. It has to be ingrained within us that we are going to be on the forefront of this change, especially while we have this opportunity. And a lot of people are saying, oh, this is a hot topic that's going to change. I've even heard people in leadership saying that. And I'm like, that depends on us, honestly, and, and how willing we are to stay focused on implementing this change, even when social unrest dies down or we don't see it at the forefront of the news every day. Well, and I think that you're right that just like anything, it's the people who are being affected, unfortunately, that have to keep pushing and have to continue the conversation, you know, in corporate America. It's the women and the other diverse individuals who are not making it to the top ranks. They have to continue to push. And then once, for example, and I talk about this a lot, you know, that great, some doors are opening for women, but it's for white women. And white women then make sure that they're bringing women of color along with them because we're just going to end up in the same place. And I think that that's a really important distinction is that a lot of times what happens, especially when you're in these big companies, you, you sort of have this expectation that the company is going to do everything and you're going to sit back and let them build their programs. And at the end of the day, we have to keep pushing because I do think that they can just as easily sort of go away, especially like I said, in a tight job market where it's not actually an imperative for the company. This time last year, couldn't afford to lose any women or diverse individuals because they couldn't hire anybody, you know? So it just becomes a different situation and you've got to have that long-term commitment. And one of the things actually, you have some great blogs, by the way, I really enjoy those on your website. But you talked a lot about networking. And this is something that, you know, I often get asked about and actually is kind of the core of what we built into our software platform, because we understand that you need to be able to connect with people that are like you, that Mm -hmm. you can see like that, see it to be it. You know, you connect with people that are like you and be able to build those networks because all the statistics out there, you know, prove that, for example, women who have a strong network of other women are the ones who are getting to the top. And so I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about, you wrote a blog on networking and maybe just kind of talk about some of your tips and examples of like what it truly means to build a network. Yeah, so I think that the word network is so intimidating 
You think that it means you go into this room and you're trying to shake as many hands as you possibly can and get business cards to foster this relationship, right? And so when I looked at networking in that way, I felt like I wasn't doing my best to forge the right relationships. So I always say that it's not even about networking. Use the word relationship building to make it hit home more for you. And a lot of times we don't even realize that we're building these relationships or have the capacity to build these relationships and how it really ties together. So with networking or relationship building, we are often conditioned to think that it's an overnight type of return on investment. And from my experiences, it hasn't been that. It's been, okay, I went to law school. I shared my notes. I was nice to the people who sat next to me. I was involved in certain groups with the people who sat next to me. And then all of us have stayed in contact and eventually made our mark in some way in a different legal industry. And then is that person knowing me from my genuine relationship with them and then turning around and saying, oh, you guys are looking for a business attorney? I know the perfect person <laughs> and pulling you in in that way, right? And I don't think people look at networking. They think that it's, okay, I met this person at this networking event. Tomorrow, I'm going to call and ask her if I can have her business or if I can, you know, she would feel comfortable to give a letter of recommendation. And um, that's just not a realistic perspective. And so I think instead of always looking for a vertical type of relationship where you're networking with maybe a VP or someone who's above you, networking across, because when that person gets elevated and they have the opportunity to make a decision to put you in a better position, you'll be top of mind from actually forming good relationships in that way. The other thing is, as it comes down to mentoring, right? I think the word mentoring is also very intimidating. Who has time for that? When people come to me and they're like, hey, will you mentor me? It's like, that's a big responsibility. Whereas if someone was just to genuinely interact with me on social media on a regular and consistent basis, and they asked me to go to lunch with them. And through those conversations, we developed a friendship and they could come to me and ask me a question if they needed help with something. You're still getting the benefits of mentoring while also forming a genuine relationship. I think you also have to look at value add. So it's very draining when people are constantly asking to pick your brain or to do a favor for them. And what I have learned over time is that what is your value add? What are you putting back into the relationship? Relationships like anything else are two-way streets, right? We wouldn't marry someone. Well, most of us wouldn't marry someone. (laughs) It it was a situation where that person expected for us to give 200% and they gave nothing of value to us. No love, no affection, no money to help us grow our dreams, no intention of laughter or having a good time. It was just the expectation for us to do all the work. Like what would be the benefit of entering into that marriage. And I think it's the same way with relationships, right? And so when I am reaching out to someone and wanting their expertise or their help, I always lead with what I plan to do in return. For instance, hey, I really want to get in front of your audience. I think it would be an awesome opportunity. I know that my following is a lot smaller than yours, but I am a contributor for Exo Nicole. So if you'd give me this opportunity, I love what you're doing. I think that I can amplify your voice by writing this article on your behalf. That way, people are like, okay, she wins, I win. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So I always say it's not networking. It's more so relationship building and establishing genuine friendships with people and then finding those common interests and ways that you can help each other. 
I like how you honed in on when you build the relationship, then you sort of share your resources, right? And I look at sharing resources. I think the most powerful thing that we can do to share resources is to make introductions, which again, helps further build those networks, right? So you're making those warm introductions and you're constantly, I think the way I'm, you know, I look at always giving back is thinking, you know, okay, wait a minute, who can I introduce you to? that there would be some mutual benefit for mm-hmm. you guys just knowing each other or heck, just that you, wow, I think they'd really like each other. They have so much in common, whatever that may be. And I think that that's really important. And that's, that's how the guys did it, right? Hey, I got a buddy for that. Oh, let me introduce you to my buddy. And women haven't been as good about that. You know, and I think sometimes because we're coming from that place of scarcity, that mindset of like, I don't want to give it away because I have so little. You know, it's so funny that you have mentioned that. I just finished reading The Awakened Woman by Dr. Tara High Trent. It is phenomenal. And it talks about the importance of redefining friendship among women. And I felt like it was so important. It has always irritated me or baffled me to hear women say, I don't like having friendships with other women. They're too catty. I just like to stick to myself. And I'm like, girl, how do you even enjoy life without a whole girl, right? Because we've kind of developed this thought process that friendships with women are catty or they're drama field or they come with emotional baggage when that's not necessarily the case. We should all have people that we are connected with that, number one, help you with your dreams. Like you're able to talk to them about your wildest ambitions and they listen and they cheer you on someone who's older than you, who has these life experiences and can help you to see past the step that you're on when you're feeling like this is the end for me. It's no way that I can make it past this. And someone that's there with you spiritually that you can kind of connect with as it relates to your mental health and, you know, staying on the spiritual track toward where you want to go. So I just thought that I had to interject because I just think you make such a good point as it relates to the importance of having good friendships and being able to make those connections. Right. And my biggest beef is when I hear women say, oh, I don't like to do business with friends. And I was like, oh, man. Yes. Yes. Do it. And does it work out every time? No. But it works out a lot of the time. And that's what we have to do to support each other. You know, we support the whole woman, not just, oh, well, we can talk about our kids because our kids are in the same grade and we'll be friends on this level. I think that that, again, is what we've been missing is that men do business with their friends. That's why they're always out on the golf course. They do business with their friends. If women would just turn that on, I mean, we could rule the world almost instantly. We just have to get rid of some of these things that hold us back. And is everything going to work out every single time? No, but you'll live. The good that you will do by just taking down those barriers will be exponential for women. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. Well, as we're wrapping up here, gosh, I could talk to you all day. I have so many other things, but I know that I want to be sure to mention that you have got a new ebook and a course out called Inking the Deal that you've written for entrepreneurs. And so just give us a little snippet of what that's like and where people can kind of go look that up. Yeah. So with the economy being the way it is and people being afraid about the future, there are so many small businesses that are sprouting. And um, I've started to notice them on my timeline. And then in the effort to support these businesses, I also noticed that people have awesome ideas, but don't necessarily have the legal framework that they need to protect their brand equity. And brand equity is pretty much just 
what you're putting into your business, the value of your business. And contracts do that for you. Having a legal understanding and a legal basis for your contracts is what protects you from getting taken advantage of, legal catastrophes. And then it just ensures that you get paid. That's one of the biggest gripes that I hear people talking about is that they've done business and haven't been able to get paid. So I was thinking, how can I help with this, especially for people who are bootstrapping businesses and can't necessarily afford to pay a retainer for an attorney? And it birthed the idea of inking the deal. So Inking the Deal is pretty much a course. It has seven modules that talks you through the beginning of like legalizing your business all the way through contracts you need to know about, heavy hitters to look for when you're negotiating contracts, how to negotiate contracts from a place of confidence and how to enforce those contracts. And so you get, you know, the seven video modules. I also created an ebook which will allow you to go in and be able to just have a quick reference if you don't have time to go back and revisit the entire modules, but you know you need to know a specific area and you want to look into that. And then there's a workbook that allows you to utilize checklists, activities, and all those things that show you how the information I've taught you ties into your business, plus a Facebook group for you to kind of interact with other women who are also looking to level up in business. So I'm super excited about it. Price for it is like $4.99, which I think is a steal. That would only get you two hours of work if you hired me as an attorney. You get just this wealth of knowledge in one place, and it's kind of my way of giving back. And so people who are interested in it can definitely go to CandiceGeist.com backslash inking the deal and sign up there for it. Awesome. Well, we will definitely put those in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and you sharing so openly and just cheering you on from the sidelines because you have done so much just for standing up for what you believe in and taking that risk. So I hope that a lot of our listeners will follow your lead and stand up and take those risks in their own lives as well to make a change, especially making a change for women and for women of color. So thank you for all that you do. And we will definitely be watching what you do next. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week and check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.